welcome to the CND Podcast. I'm Naima Kalachand and I'm the clinical editor. I spoke to Harpreet Channa, who is a pharmacist and professional coach who specialises in mental health awareness and prevention. We spoke about how pharmacists can also get sick and how employers can support pharmacists with mental health issues. You'll hear later in the podcast that myself and Harpreet discussed the GPHC's stance on mental health and fitness to practice. We've actually since spoke to the GPHC, who have said that they recognise that the fitness to practice process is stressful and it can affect mental health, and it may be uncomfortable for those with existing mental health issues to engage with the process. The GPHC are committed to handling all issues with compassion, dignity and respect, and think that everyone in the pharmacy has a role to improve the support available for pharmacists with mental health issues. The GPHC have made this a priority in the coming year and will work closely with organisations, employers and individuals. As you know, we had the C&D parliamentary event and the C&D salary survey in 2018 revealed that stress levels among readers have now reached around 74%. And pharmacist support um, chief executive Daniel Hunt also told us that they saw a huge increase in demand from pharmacists needing help with 61% of pharmacists struggling with stress at work. You talked a bit before in your previous podcast about issues um, in pharmacy and in the workplace. So I just wanted to chat to you about that and you know, what are the main causes of mental health in pharmacy um, and how can employers recognise if their employees are, are feeling stressed? Um, yeah, so I mean, I obviously I talked about my own um, experience at the time in previous podcasts. I talked about my own experience and how I didn't feel like there was much support for me at that at that point. And I think I picked up on the isolation part. Um, and I think it's really difficult because being a pharmacist is a bit of a thankless job. And I'm probably going to get absolutely vilified for saying that, but it is because you're working long hours on your feet. Um, you're usually trying to manage about six things in one go because you're the only if you're the kind of particularly if you're the if you're the only pharmacist and you're the pharmacy manager you are running everything and yeah. everything every book stops with you in that in that pharmacy right um you have to have a handle on everything on all your staff on everything that's coming through on all the patients on the services on the phone that's ringing and people want to know where their deliveries are and you know on the stock that's not um appearing we can't get hold of it um all those types of things is all it's all within your control and then you've got you know responsibility should I say and then you've got things like the contract changes and all the other stuff that you're trying to keep on top of um, additional training requirements because new services are coming out it's just it's constant and it's a bit non-stop mm-hmm. so you're you, you know you're kind of you're running all of that during the day you're trying to make sure that the volume of prescriptions are being met but then you're also trying to deal with all this additional stuff that just kind of keeps piling on and the book stops with you it's just you and there's no particularly in the places that I've worked there's not been like a network of other pharmacists around that I can kind of pick up the phone to and say listen I'm having a really hard time with this how how are you getting on um there are things locally but inevitably because we're pharmacists everything's evenings and weekends and you know when you've been working a 60 70 hour week the last thing you want to do is then do more pharmacy stuff um you know and particularly if you've had to work evenings to get some of the volume done you just want to go home and be with your family so it is really tricky from that point of view so I would say the the isolation part feeling on your own the long hours the increasing paperwork requirements and actually i'm going to say something here which is probably a bit contentious but the way that we get treated by the general public also really affects our mental health yeah and that kind of 
you know, pharmacists are having to deal with medicine shortages, as we know at the minute as well. And, you know, patients are often frustrated and pharmacists are kind of working working on the patient-facing role where they have to just deal with all of the issues that come into the pharmacy on a day-to-day basis, Absolutely. even if it's not their fault. Absolutely, because patients are less likely to shout at the GP and way more likely to shout at us. We just, we are more accessible and, you know, uh, and it's quite frustrating actually that, um, you know, particularly if there's been an error in the, in the surgery, it'll always be the pharmacist that gets shouted at, even if it's not our error. Yeah. Um, and that's quite difficult and they'll do it in front of everybody else as well. And, you know, we understand, you know, we understand as pharmacists, we put our patients patients first it's why so many of us again suffer with mental health issues is because we will always put the good of our patients away and above anything else that we think about ourselves um same with any caregiving profession really and you end up depleting yourself that's the problem long term when you put in everybody else's needs above yours you end up depleting yourself so you know we understand that patients need their medication and we do absolutely everything i don't know a single pharmacist who won't go to the ends of the earth to make sure that they're patient gets the medication that they need and on time um but equally it, it it's not some things are genuinely without outside of our control yeah. and some of the public are lovely and they really get it and they'll be like oh you know what i understand that you're working really hard to get to get a hold of this for me and then there's others that are just downright horrible yeah. um and you're just trying to do a job and um, but they don't see it like that yeah. um and that can be really difficult when you've had a day and i've had this a day of people shouting at you effectively to then try and, and put that to one side and go home and, and, and you know, be able to switch off is is really tricky and it does impact you and I don't know a single pharmacist who won't say to you that they've woken up in the middle of the night in a sweat thinking about oh did I send that prescription out that needed to go today um oh did I lock the cd cabinet oh did I do this oh did I do that yeah. because there's so much going on during the day and because you're the one that every has to have a handle on everything it you know it's it, it's inevitable that your mind is going to be constantly on you know it won't switch off yeah. it's I con- re- you know it's constant many nights waking up thinking like did I did I give out that prescription I yeah do exactly well. you do you just have that you know, in the middle of the night don't you sort of wake up and I've done it before and I've sort of startled in the middle of the night <gasps> did I do that no I must have done that and then you talk yourself out of it don't you you'll yeah. say no I must have done that because I always do that so why would I not do it this time but it's always that fear that yeah. this is the one time that then, you didn't then you rush in the next one to double check and everything's, yeah. everything's fine but... no well exactly <laughs> yeah. I, I'll tell you there's one um, story I can say that and this will probably resonate with people it was a Friday night at 10 30 at night and I got a phone call from um my technician saying Harper we forgot to send out the cd weekly cd tray uh, tray with cds in for this yeah. particular patient and i've just had a call from the carer to say they've not she's not had a medication since at 10 30 on a friday night yeah. and i just went oh, we didn't open on a saturday oh, so no. of course i had to then head over there yeah. <laughs> and it's like you know this pharmacy was in a very scary place yeah. um so yeah it's not it's not an experience i would ever want to to replicate but it happens yeah. you know we're human yeah. and i think this is the point i want to get across yeah. you know we're not superhumans yeah. pharmacists and you, we are human you just feel when something like that happens you just feel your stomach drop like oh, I, just, I was I, devastated yeah, the minute just, she told me i just went oh my yeah. goodness now it's luckily enough i was only 15 minutes yeah. drive away yeah. so i was able to go um but not everybody is able yeah. to mm-hmm. um and i and there've been some real issues that i've had i've had like you know um the locum on a 
Friday taking the CD key home with them and me turning up to do a locum shift on a Saturday, not being able to get into the CD cabinet with methadone patients, you know, queuing out the door. Um, You know, and I'm the only, I'm the pharmacist. There's one counter assistant that isn't fully trained um, and I've got no dispenser. So I'm dispensing um, and I'm checking and I'm answering the phone and I'm putting the stock away and I've got all these methadone patients um, with no CD key. Um, And, you know, then me trying to get a hold of a manager on a Saturday who's not answering his phone. It's just, you know, things like that these are real issues um and i'm not suggesting that there aren't other jobs that are stressful of course they are but i just think that sometimes pharmacy gets overlooked we don't get the you know the same kind of press and media coverage that um some of the other professions do and certainly um there is a mental health service, a national mental health service for GPs, but there isn't one for pharmacists. And I know that the RPS is busy campaigning um, on that, taking, I think, the results of your um, stress at work survey, I think it was at the beginning of this year. Um, and I know that they're campaigning for that. And I, I couldn't be more behind that because, you know, when you, thinking of all the things that I've just said to you, and I'm only really scratching the surface about the stress that pharmacists face at work. Um, and it's not just pharmacists that are in dispensaries or in hospital. It's also, you know, I, you know, I don't, practice now Monday to Friday I used to um I still have stress at work yeah. um it's still a stressful um sector to work in but it's that you know when I'm feeling that you know I need support where do I go who yeah. do I turn to pharmacy support are absolutely brilliant yeah. but you know if 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 what you say is right and 70% of of pharmacists are needing help or some sort of support pharmacy support you know can only do so much yeah, course, um yeah. and and there really does Firstly, need to be a national service yeah. for pharmacists. And secondly, I'm sorry to have to say, but I think organisations need to be doing more yeah. for the men- mental well-being of their of their um, staff. And I will tell you, since I set up the Mental Wealth Academy at the beginning of this year, I've had a number of conversations with organisations and they've said, well, we just there isn't any money for it. There's no money for that kind of training. Um, there's no money for that. You know, they'll do a bit around the mental well-being as much as they can. But really, looking after your employees' mental well-being is more than sending, you know, one or two employees on a mental health first aid course and and you know doing yoga every I don't know Tuesday at six o'clock or whatever it might be it's so much more than that and for the reasons that I've just outlined to you this is that's very real and there's loads of other things I haven't even said that pharmacists are dealing with day in day out and yet if they're struggling there should be someone either within their organization um to go to or you know let's be equipping them with some coping strategies um and some mechanisms and to say that look you know when this happens to you don't internalize it you know try try and almost remove yourself a little bit from that stress we all know we're going to face stress at work it's inevitable Mm -hmm. we're going to face stress in our lives it's inevitable but it's about how you respond to that stress that is what ultimately results in whether or not you're going to have a mental health issue or not um and there is a way to choose that it's what mental wealth is it's choosing a different response and it's choosing a different way to to you know sort of manage things day to day and when you're in the thick of it though however it that almost feels impossible to you you're like really uh you know i'm just trying to get through the day day to day i'm just trying to keep my head above water i can't possibly think about how i respond to stuff that's kind of like a luxury i can't afford actually it's not that difficult um you know and it it is something that you can learn i'm living walking proof of somebody who um has suffered with her mental health has learned some of these coping mechanisms and strategies understands that a lot of this is just my mind telling me things um and making my me respond in that way and i choose to respond in a different way so it is absolutely possible but absolutely there is so much more that we need to do in this sector um because 
since I've been talking about mental wealth, only it's only been a few months, I've had that many pharmacists contact me, come up to me when I've done a talk in tears, saying to me, Harper, your story could be my story. I'm really suffering at the moment and I can't tell anyone. Why can't you tell anyone? Because of fear of what people might say. I had that fear. And until my article came out in the C&D in September where I openly talked about it, I absolutely had that fear. What will people think of me? What will, you know, will I be pulled up under fitness to practice? Um, you know, do you, think, do you think that's a big reason that pharmacists are afraid to come forward and, you know, speak to their employers about feeling unwell in the workplace? Um, I did, but only I tell you what really hit that um, home for me and made me realise just how much of an issue it was. When I um, did a couple of speaker sessions at the pharmacy show around kind of mental wealth and stress, the number of pharmacists that came to my stand afterwards and said, I'm really struggling but I daren't tell anyone because um, I'm scared that the GPHC will, will haul me in front of fitness to practice and say that I'm undeclare me unfit. So I just don't tell anyone. Um, I've had people say they're suicidal and won't ask for help. And I'm getting upset myself now because it really, I'm so passionate about this because I've been there and I get it. I understand. And for someone to feel at that much of a despair and at the end of their tether that they're, they're genuinely considering ending it all to feel that they can't open up and, and get the help that they need because they're scared that they might lose their profession. That's not right. It's absolutely not right. And I just think, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure where the GPHC stands on this, um, but I, I do think that there is, there is absolutely more that we need to be doing. There are sectors within our organisation that need to do more to help support these people to yeah, say, look, gosh, yeah. do come forward, get the help you need, don't suffer in silence. You know, and I was talking um, to, to somebody within the sector. There are pharmacists that have committed suicide because they've been that, you know, that low and they've suffered that much that they've decided to take their own life. And we're not the only sector. There are other sectors as well. But we have to look at why this is happening and try and give them the support that they need. So I just don't, I just don't think it's good enough to say, you know what, we can't really afford that kind of training. Or That's not really for us. All the results from all the surveys are telling us that this is a big issue. Me talking to pharmacists out in the field and then you know breaking down in front of me tells me that this is a real problem um but we just and i can see that there is some movement people are obviously you know i know pharmacy support are really campaigning as well for a national service so i can see things are moving towards the right direction but i would really love um for someone to be a trailblazer here yeah. and say actually we're going to go out on a limb and we're going to put something together for pharmacists nationally um, that will start giving them some of these coping mechanisms and strategies and they shouldn't have to suffer um, in silence. There should be somewhere for them to go. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so kind of moving on from that, how can employers or other members of the pharmacy team you know, recognise if they, if the other members of their team are, on, are feeling depressed or anxious? You know, what kind of signs should they look out for? You know, what should you be aware of if you want to make sure your team is okay um oh gosh this is a difficult one some people um so i um work with um, i'm a core energy coach and so what we look at is you know sort of how people present um and respond sort of day to day and then what happens to them under stress it's an assessment that i do and i, I can sort of tell you what happens to you when you're kind of put under that stress situation now from doing that kind of work what it's what it highlights is that some people are just naturally inclined to constantly be negative and to internalize it's just who they are it's part of 
what makes them you know them and you know in the previous podcast i was talking about the individual glasses that we wear um and that's what we you know sort of filter life through is and that's based on our own beliefs um what our parents have taught us um cultural religious things um all that type of stuff that um effectively shapes the the way um in which we view the world and so for some people they're just naturally inclined to internalise and, and, and feel a victim in things. And so when you're sort of saying, well, how can I determine whether someone's just naturally a little bit negative or actually it's genuinely a problem? That's quite difficult um, to do. Um, but I think the and, and I certainly I'm just bringing it back to my own experience. No one knew that I had a problem. Yeah. I had a very, very good mask. So um, everyone thought I was the life. And so I used to get told all the time, oh, Harper, you're like a breath of fresh air, mm. you know, because you know, I'd come along and I was bubbly and I was enthusiastic. No one would ever have thought in a million years that I had all sorts of things going on in my head. Um, but I did. And so it can be really difficult to spot some of those signs um, as to whether or not people are OK. I think the first thing is, it's around um, emotional intelligence. And it's why I um, I do a lot of training on this, because if you don't have a relationship with your staff in the first place, then you're never going to notice when something's wrong. Yeah. If you're the kind of person that never comes in and says, you know, sort of, hi, how are you doing? How's your day? Um, you know, how are things going? And, and actually take an interest in your staff's kind of life outside of work you're going to find it much harder to pick up on these things because unless someone's really upset and crying all the time which is an obvious one you know things are setting them off and they're, they're crying or you can you know you can tell from some of their language that they're sort of saying you can tell that they're quite worried or, about things or people are saying they're not you know, I'm sort of struggling with sleep that's the kind of obvious stuff it's the non-obvious stuff that you need to yeah. look out for and definitely if you if you do come in and, and chat to your staff and try and build up these relationships they're going to be more likely to want to chat to you about correct if they're not feeling great or if they're having some issues or they need some time off work yeah absolutely and i've worked with pharmacists before that literally say nothing to anyone they keep themselves to themselves and they just you know come into their work and they go that's really difficult then because it just shows you how isolating the profession can be yeah it does um and it might very well be that that pharmacist has got all sorts of going on for them as well so um but i think as a manager i'm a big believer i think it was richard branson who says you look after your people and they look after your business so i'm very much people first i've always um you you know taken that time to build and it doesn't necessarily and i think this is the thing this is why it's a problem that we're not taught management in pharmacy mm-hmm. um because management will tell you yes it's important to have a good relationship with your staff but you also must have those boundaries between a relationship and a personal relationship yeah. and where those boundaries might be overstep uh, you know you might overstep them because then it becomes very difficult difficult to lead your team if you're too if you're too, you know, sort of friendly with them, yeah. and 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 it is a fine, it's a fine art. It's not, it's not. I don't even say it's a science; it's an art yeah. um, to try and get that kind of happy medium whereby you really get on well with your staff. But actually, if they've done something and you need to, I don't want to say use the word reprimand, but you know, effectively give them negative feedback, that they're able to take that yeah. constructively. Yeah. So it's a real difficult. It is a real art of management and leadership in order to be able to do that. And it comes back to the emotional intelligence of piece. So it's not just about um, really listening to what your staff are telling you but actually how do you come across yeah and, the, and i've seen some pharmacists will snap at their staff because they're stressed yeah. and they're snapping at the staff and the staff you can see the staff flinching because they're like oh god you know the pharmacist has just snapped at me and i will hold my hands up i've done it yeah. i've done it before because where the pressure and the stress has got too much and i've got too much on my mind and i've asked someone to do something and they've not done it or they've half-heartedly done it um you know i've snapped um but it is about that 
understanding in that stressful environment how you're coming across um, and and also really hearing what your team is telling you and sometimes that's difficult in that environment and then thinking about the communication piece as well in terms of how do you how do you communicate with your staff and how do your staff communicate with each other because then that can then have a knock-on effect on your staff and affect their mental health if you're you know not communicating with them well and maybe snapping at them every day and if they're coming into that kind of environment in work then it's just going to be a, a vicious kind of circle of yeah reality. absolutely and I think we underestimate that sometimes because again we're working in that isolation and it's just we're usually the book stops with us and you know we're sort of handling the whole store yes we might have an owner if we're independent or a superintendent or you know um, uh, a regional manager so you you do effectively report into them but you might not see them every day your staff will see you every single day so when you say something to them that is going to impact them. They see you every single day and that whatever whatever you say to them that has made them feel that way will resonate, depending on the kind of person they are. Yeah. It can sometimes resonate for them for some time. You might not realise, this is why I'm saying it's emotional intelligence, why it's important. You might not realise the impact of your words and actions on your team. And because you're stressed, you might not notice it. Um, but if you're you know if if you if your team is being affected by your behavior or by your language or your communication then that is something that needs to be picked up and again it's around for the bigger organizations that's training that's basic leadership training and it's again why i do uh, life and leadership skills training because we don't get that as pharmacists and there certainly isn't a you know, a sort of pharmacist leadership academy um, that we can go off and learn. Those. There is, we do have the NHS leadership academy, but nothing specifically for pharmacists in that kind of stressful dispensary environment. How you manage with the stress and managing a team, um, and sometimes that team can be really varied. You could, you can have, you know, from sixteen-year-olds right up to people that have been working in the dispensary for 30 40 years um, and you're coming in trying to manage that real range and diverse um you know sort of people in a very small and usually stressful environment it's quite difficult yeah so you've touched on a few things there that i wanted to move on to next so obviously communication good communication is key building up relationships and training as well to kind of ensure that you've got correct managerial skills is there any other um things that could be put in place in the pharmacy or coping mechanisms that pharmacists or pharmacy teams could adopt to try and cope with mental health and just kind of absolve any of the issues before before they happen i think making yourself available as a manager for your team is really important um so what that might look like and different people do different things um in the past um i've we used to um so we i was quite fortunate in in most of the pharmacies I've worked in actually we used to close for lunch mm-hmm. so I would always make a particular lunch time so you know half of Wednesday lunchtime used to be sort of like our meeting for the week oh, nice. um, and it and I know that's difficult when you don't close for lunch but see if you can do it either before you know sort of a half an hour before you open or at some point just try and get some time with your team and build some of that team camaraderie and we used to go for nights out and things as well yeah. because we just and for meals because we were trying to build that kind of team camaraderie so that you almost feel that people have got your back yeah I think that's, um, that's very important it, yeah. absolutely and again it comes back to that kind of building those relationships um, having that time so people can air some of the things that are frustrating them but you again you need to do and this is again it comes back to this leadership skill it's a skill of 
not just letting everyone get things off their chest and it turn into a row. I have had that happen before. But you want to you want to give that kind of forum where people can air their views and say, look, we've been doing this and we don't think it's working and we want to try this, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's important. But actually also having something fun as well. So we used to do like donuts on a Friday. Oh, yeah, um, so things like that. So donuts on a Friday or something else or somebody would bake something and yeah. we'd try and do something that was fun. And I would make myself available for um the team and I, I would do it i had a couple of them that were doing um their um training courses so their nvqs um and i would also make myself available for them as well so i'd say to them look i'm going to be busy i know that i don't know whatever it was like um, on a monday lunchtime it's a, 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 my quiet time if you want to bring in your work you know do it then and we'll do it so i'd always try and give i'd make t- make a little bit of time for the team when they needed it so they knew that they could come to me if they had any issues and I think that's important if we're talking about mental health within the team they need to feel that they can come with you so yes absolutely communication and building the relationship but then making yourself available as well but you know for all the reasons that I've just outlined that's quite difficult as well Um, and I just wonder if there's anything that you know what I mean if it were me I have had conversations with the regional manager or the superintendent before to say, look, I'd like to be able to offer this time, even if it's once a month. Could I get cover? Could we do this? Could we do that? If the surgery shuts on a Wednesday afternoon and I know there's going to be less scripts coming through, you know, can I make use of that? So whatever it might look like for for you within your pharmacy. But again, it's, it's just... Take yourself out of that situation for a second, you know, because it's so easy to get bogged down with all the stuff that goes on. Just take a step back and say, okay, let me look at the week. Let me look at the month. Are there times where I can do something like this? Um, And I think the biggest one um, in order to be able to do that is delegation. And this is coming back to kind of pharmacist stress. We don't delegate as pharmacists. We like everything within our control because the book stops with us. And and actually, I think um, the sector could do with just looking at the role of the pharmacist, traditional role of the pharmacist. Now that we know that things are changing, we're moving more towards a service-based contract, mm-hmm. is the absolute best time to look at, okay, how is my... Again, we don't do this because we're too busy day-to-day. How is the workflow currently working in the dispensary? We know we're going to move to you know 90% electronic. Um, the way that we've set the pharmacy up, does it work? Is it going to facilitate a more paperless system? Um, what can we do to free up some of that pharmacist's time? How can we upskill some of the other members of the team to free up some of that pharmacist's time? So it's probably the time is ripe right now to start looking at how and why we can do some of this stuff. Um, and, and the pharmacist absolutely needs to start delegating. It's really, really difficult to, to do that. Um, but I can say, having done that myself, it's actually quite oddly liberating when yeah. you start to, to, you know, and it's all about, it is about having the right people in the team and upskilling them effectively. Um, but I think as pharmacists, what we do is we'll say, you know what, it's going to take us that long to teach somebody else. I'll just do it myself and it'll be quicker. Mm-hmm. I'll just do it myself. And so you end up, you know, and I've done it before where I've mindlessly just, you know, been typing up dispensing labels because I just know it needs to get done and I'll do it quickly. Um, But actually, is that really a good and effective use of my time? Not really. Um, I encourage pharmacists, and in fact, anyone that um, I work with, I'll say to them, you stack it up against what's urgent and what's important. If something's urgent and important, you do it right now. Um, That's the stuff that you absolutely need to do. Um, 
if it's if it's urgent but it's not really important then you know you can push that back a little bit mm-hmm. it's the the really urgent and the really important that you want to absolutely do if it's urgent and not that important you kind of push it back if it's important but it's not that urgent you plan to do it and then the things that aren't urgent and aren't important like doing your dispensing labels for mm-hmm. all the surgery prescriptions that have come in that aren't going to be picked up in two days time but you just want it clear off the dispensing bench because you don't want the overhang and, and all that kind of stuff that probably doesn't need to be done by you and <laughs> it could be you don't need to do it yeah. um but you know what we do it and we do it in our lives as well um you know we, we we generally focus on the things that are easy and we like to do Just we kind try of like and get them ticked off the list absolutely the absolutely and again as pharmacists we're meticulous we like we know we have great big long to-do lists and we like to tick off lots and lots of things so we'll do all the stuff that's really easy but actually how much of that can be delegated yeah. how much of it do you really need to do yeah. um and one of the other things I always talk about is Eat That Frog, which is a book by um, Brian Tracy. And Eat That Frog means, if I said to you, um, Naomi, if there was a live frog jumping around this table and you had to eat it, how difficult would that be for you? Uh, pretty difficult. Absolutely. <laughs> Firstly, you'd have to chase it. <laughs> exactly. Firstly, you'd have to chase it and then you'd have to swallow the damn thing whole, live. Couldn't do it. And so the whole um, kind of purpose around um, Eat That Frog is do the difficult thing first. So eating the frog is the most difficult thing. Do the difficult thing first. Because once that's done, you'll feel motivated and inspired to do more. Yeah. Um, and I guarantee you, whenever I talk about eat that frog, I always say, I bet there's something in your life or your work, a task that you really don't want to do, and you've been putting it off for months and months and months, and it's just been festering. Just get it done. Yeah. If, if nothing else, after this podcast, <laughs> once you get to the end, whatever that thing is for you, just get it done. Yeah. Because you'll feel so much better and so much more empowered once you've done it. And actually, it is about eating that frog every day. So when you come in and you look at your to-do list, eat that frog, get that done, and do that urgent and important. And anything that's not urgent or important, give it away to somebody else. If you don't need to be doing then don't. Your time as a pharmacist is really important. Don't unnecessarily overload your plate and stress yourself out with tasks that you don't need to be doing that you could be giving away to somebody else yeah I think that's really good I'm definitely going to take that away with my yeah. practice anyway <laughs> yeah. um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is I know there's a lot of mental health first aiders in office kind of situations and office buildings do you think there's a there's a there's a place for a mental health first aider in the pharmacy like could one of the staff be the first aider in that case and you know if the manager isn't able to make time for the rest of the staff, is there someone else that would have a role? Absolutely. Um, and I'm surprised, actually, um, that there isn't already a provision for this in the new contract. So, you know, we know that we've got healthy living champions. We know we've got dementia friends. And um, so there's various different things that, um, you know, we're already doing in different areas, in different therapeutic areas. Um I suspect that with the NHS's focus on prevention and sort of public health, obviously, obviously pushing the prevention agenda as well. Once we move to, so at the moment, we're quite reactive with mental health. Everything is done as a reactive measure. Um, we're not doing very much proactively um, as a nation and as a sector. But I think the tides are changing. And you heard it here first. I suspect there'll be a mental health champion in every pharmacy yeah. going forward. And that's not just for patients, but actually that's within the pharmacy as well. Yeah. Now, whether that takes um, the kind of mental, formal mental health first aid route, which is more about kind of crisis management. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for people that are already struggling or whether that takes something that's a bit more proactive in that um, 
It's about building healthy mental practices within the pharmacy and encouraging patients who might start to be showing um, some sort of signs, symptoms. It's kind of that's where I come in and that's where I sort of do my work in the Mental Wealth Academy is that early intervention phase, that piece. I call them the functioning unwell. So these are people that are generally functioning day to day, are able to get up and go to work. Um, They're not chronically ill but absolutely are starting to around the edges have problems with their mental health. Whereas, you know, whether it's they're not sleeping well or they're, they can't switch off at night or they might be needing a drink most nights just to take the edge off a bad day, whatever that might be or what it looked like for them. It's that kind of cohort of people because they're the ones that if you, if we don't look after them, they're going to end up on the antidepressants and therapy route, yeah. which then costs our economy and the health service billions. So if we can try and do that early intervention piece, and pharmacy is absolutely well placed for that um, because we're having contact with those patients. Yeah. And we know, and having worked on pharmacy, in pharmacy for many years, and as I'm sure you do as well, Naomi, that you'd always have patients that you knew were not quite right. Yeah. You knew because you could tell from the way they were talking, yeah. from some of the things that they were telling you. But where do we refer them to at the moment? Yeah just referred on to something where there's a really long waiting list absolutely at the moment you just refer them to the gp and they're not probably going to want to go to the gp half of them don't even know they've got a problem let alone go to the gp about it so there needs to be more done i think just nationally around the preventative agenda but i suspect there will be some sort of mental health um champion within each pharmacy that can spot things and signpost to local services um whatever that might look like locally um but yeah I, i i and i would like to see that happen um you know even in the work that I'm doing in the Mental Wealth Academy I can only do so much Um, I'd love to be in every pharmacy and talking to every single team and getting them to look at what they're currently doing in the team and what's working for them what isn't and building some healthy mental practices but um, we also can't be in you know 11,700 pharmacies (laughs) however many it is so um, and that's just in England so you know let alone the the devolved nation so um, yeah it's difficult I would like to see something like that yeah well I think it's it's absolutely brilliant that you're kind of putting these messages out there and you know the the word spreading that actually we do need the early interventions to try and help pharmacists Um, thank you very much for your time Harvey no problem thank you for having me really interesting and really great to chat to you and hopefully you'll be back on the top this again That was Harper Channel discussing mental health in the pharmacy. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to CND Podcasts on iTunes or your preferred Android app. Thank you for listening.